0: If you're interested in the medical field or helping people with health and things like that, you don't have to be a surgeon. You don't have to be a kind of like take care of people, a people person. There's other avenues you can explore and still satisfy those desires. At the same time, be involved in something you really enjoy. The Job Guppy podcast is on a mission to help career explorers and job seekers find out from real people, What a specific career or job is really like on a day-to-day basis join me your host chris hodges as we dive in and explore jobs with each guest you'll hear from experienced working professionals with transparent realistic and job-specific insight about their daily roles and their career journey we go on to explore other topics like job search recommendations and income and salaries you'll hear answers to questions like do i need to go to college for this job how much college what is your work-life balance like What do you like or dislike or what would you do different? And if you don't like what you hear about one job role, we discuss alternative job titles to explore related to the same industry. And my favorite part is the end where the guest shares their inspirational insight and recommendations for the next person wanting to get started on their career journey. in this episode our guest is dr natalie langley who is a board certified forensic anthropologist who also sits on the board of directors for the american board of forensic anthropology she has a research lab at the mayo clinic in arizona where she is a course director for anatomy and histology classes at the medical school and vice chair of scientific foundations Dr. Natalie shares how she came to merge her love of the human body and anatomy with a passion for serving in the medical community while at the same time avoiding direct patient care like how a traditional medical doctor would be involved. She goes through what a career like hers is like and how she splits her time between teaching, research, and her administrative duties in her role at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. We discuss the importance of mentorship and she recommends specific programs to help find mentors that I list in the show notes and on JobGubby.com. At the end of the interview she also gives some general career advice related to growing your skill sets in a way that works well for any career field.
1: So I am a board certified forensic anthropologist. I do consult on casework occasionally and I also sit on the American Board of Forensic Anthropology on board of directors. I have a research lab at Mayo Clinic. I'm employed at Mayo Clinic Arizona. Also at Mayo Clinic, I'm the course director for the anatomy and histology courses in the medical school. And I'm the vice chair of scientific foundations, which is the first two years or the preclinical courses in the medical school. So I oversee those and support our course leaders in that role.
0: Those are a lot of titles. I'm sure you don't do all of it at the same time. Where do you spend most of your time currently on a you know day or weekly basis you know, on a job role?
1: You're right. I don't do all of that at one time. And depending on the time of year... I may be doing more of one thing or another. For example, we just finished the anatomy course at the medical school. So for about seven weeks during anatomy and six weeks during distology, most of what I did was teaching. We run a full dissection, cadaver dissection course and for gross anatomy for medical students. Um, So, yeah, so, you know, up to preparing to get ready for those courses and then running the courses and then sort of finishing up with everything after the course. for gosh, I don't know, several months a year, I really do a pretty heavy teaching load.
0: So just focusing on the teaching load for a little bit, is it, you're in a classroom, kind of like, a, is it in a lab environment, you know, you have students gather around, do you spend a lot of time teaching, even paperwork, grading, you have teacher's aides?
1: Students mostly want to do in-person learning, especially because it's the first couple of courses in medical school. So for the most part, we do small group learning in the classroom, then we do dissection in the laboratory. So for any given day during the anatomy course, I might spend two hours with the students in the classroom, and this is active learning. They watch pre-recorded lectures. And then two hours in the dissection laboratory. I have teaching assistants to help with the teaching load and grading load. I have an education administrative coordinator who also helps just schedule things and helps me run the course kind of behind the scenes. I also have other faculty that help teach. Uh, so really, I'm, as a course leader, I teach, and I'm also responsible for overseeing all of the faculty and the TAs, making sure that every day runs smoothly, taking care of any issues that come yeah. up. Yeah, and after the four hours, I would say, of contact time with the students, I spend my afternoon. Completing dissections. Sometimes I do special dissections for the students. We prepare a dissection for the students for the next day. So I do a lot of dissection during the afternoons. And then I spend a little bit of time in the evening just reviewing and making sure I'm ready for the next day.
0: I kind of have to ask, when you say dissections, knowing that you're into the kind of forensic anthropology, are you working on cadavers or is it animal parts where you use?
1: It is human cadavers that we use human remains for medical school. We use cadavers from individuals who've donated their bodies to medicine and science. Our anatomy course, those are embalmed so that we can keep on through the duration of the course. The other part of the work that I do is more specialized. I do advanced training for residents with surgeons and also some cadaver-based research. Those dissections are on unimbalmed specimens.
0: When you do the dissections and you work with whoever it might be you're working with, is it a mix of people training on how to do properly, I guess, uh, what would you call it? Cut into, you know, correctly, do a surgical procedure correctly, you know, don't make mistakes. And does it also get into... Research where somebody's actually investigating something and they're not worried about surgically being precise, but they just want to go in and see something inside the body as an investigation of what might have happened to this person. Is it a mix of those or just one or the other?
1: It is a mix. For the medical students, that really is teaching a lot of technique. Many of them haven't dissected previously, so I do spend time teaching them to do dissections. For the residents, that's not so much teaching them to dissect, because that's not a skill that they need You know, at that point in their career. Even an anesthesiologist doesn't need to know how to dissect. A physical medicine rehabilitation practitioner doesn't need to know how to dissect. But through the process of dissection, or even through looking at dissections that I've prepared, they learn about structures or relationships that are relevant to their daily practice. So I'm not really teaching them dissection. It's more of, advanced learning through dissection.
0: Where did that kind of start? Did you know in college, I eventually want to get into where you are today or did it kind of start in one area and navigate to this other area? I would
1: say it started in college. When I, when I first started college, I was pre-med. I, I knew I really loved the human body. I learned that patient interactions were not my cup of tea. I didn't want to be involved in direct patient care. So that's where I started looking at other careers where I could work with the human body, anatomy, still perform service, but not be a, a medical doctor involved in patient care. So I discovered forensic anthropology, and that's mostly bones. But during the course of taking all of my PhD program, like all the courses, I took gross anatomy. And I loved it. And so when I graduated with my PhD, there was a medical school, I guess about an hour from where I lived in Tennessee, looking for an anatomist. And one of my forensic anthropology colleagues told me about it. I was like, okay, I'll apply for that position. So I got the position and they wanted me to do a lot of research, which I did. I got a ton of grants and did a lot of research and built up a research program. And then I did the Medical school anatomy courses as well, and at that time, I was also doing a lot of forensic casework because I was the consultant for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. So, I probably did one or two cases a month that were skeletal cases
0: for the GBI. I like how you summed up or worded the desire you had to work like in the medical field. You know, it's interesting the way you put it. You wanted to be involved in it, but you knew you didn't want patient care, so you found this other thing that worked for you. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get out of some of this. Like the the medical field is not just dealing with people. If you're interested in the medical field or helping people with health and things like that, you don't have to be a surgeon. You don't have to be a kind of like take care of people, a people person. There's other avenues you can explore and still satisfy those desires. At the same time, be involved in something you really enjoy. Do you yourself have to continually keep up certifications on a year-to-year basis or anything like that?
1: I have to recertify with the American Board of Forensic Anthropology every three years. So every three years, I kind of submit an accounting of all the things I've done in forensic anthropology. Any courses I've taught, any lectures I've given, any publications, research, casework. There's a a lot of different areas where I show my activities in forensic anthropology, and I submit those for recertification.
0: How would you advise somebody to get involved in your field? If they're in school, they're wanting to know more, where's a good place for them to go to? Are there known networks that people can get involved in, or should they reach out to like a, a college? How would they get, start looking into more stuff to see if this is something they even want to do before they start committing time to two or three years in a college? Getting into that,
1: if someone's looking for a career that looks like mine, uh, which is doing some forensic anthropology and then some anatomy. Then a PhD in forensic, well, PhD in anthropology or forensic anthropology is what you have to get. There are a number of programs, universities that offer PhDs in forensic anthropology. University of Tennessee is where I got mine. It's a kind of a world-renowned program. And thinking of the PhD specifically, I think the University of Florida has a PhD in forensic anthropology. There are other schools that just have a master's, but you know, if you're gonna go on to do what I'm doing, you really need a PhD. I think if if you're just wanting to practice forensic anthropology, work in a medical examiner's office, do some casework, not be specifically board certified at the level I'm certified at, you you can do that with a master's degree. But most medical examiners do prefer a board certified forensic anthropologist to do more advanced casework. You know, I should say, do casework like unsupervised, where I do the whole case and I produce the report. And if I'm called in to give expert testimony, I do do
0: that. That's good information that you said you could actually do, you could work on, do that kind of work with a master's, but there's another level that you can take it to with a PhD and even another level of board certified. A lot of growth there to do, like you said, to do what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say okay. if someone is not interested in, the forensic component of what I do and is just interested in being an anatomist, you can do that with a PhD in anatomy or anatomy and cell biology.
0: How would you differentiate forensic versus just anatomist?
1: Forensic anthropologists receive advanced training in osteology, gross anatomy but then all, all of the other aspects of anthropology as well. For example, I learned paleoanthropology for my PhD, the whole fossil record. You to learn that if you're looking at just purely anatomy probably going to get a degree that's like an anatomy is telling the anatomy and cell biology it's very different you're just focusing on gross anatomy neuroanatomy histology and then the study of cells
0: did you find that doing internships or anything like that helped you hone in on what you wanted to do or did you, you know talk to some people and they found that internships helped them while they were in school. And then other people just kind of knew exactly what they wanted to do and kind of just started going through the paces. Did you have work-study programs or anything like that that opened up a new world to you as you went through them?
1: I didn't do a lot of that as an undergrad. I, as a master's st- student and a PhD student, I was a teaching assistant. That was really helpful, you know, learning how to teach. I mean, as a PhD student, I had a class of 250 students that I taught an introductory anthropology course, and the whole course was mine. So that was really valuable. I think those were skills that I use today, and they were invaluable. And they also taught me what it's like to lead a course, to run a course. At the University of Tennessee, they have a forensic laboratory, basically a whole body donation program for the anthropology research facility or body farm. So I did a lot of work with that. So I knew what it was going to be like to do forensic casework because I was able to do that as a PhD student. I would consider those more of the experiences I had that you know, showed me what it would be like working in, in, the, in the field or having a career that's kind of academically based, but also doing some casework consulting. The other thing I would say is I did a postdoc and that was... I think it's a one-year postdoctoral research position. I personally think for anyone who's wanting to go into an academic field, get a professorship, I really advise considering a postdoctoral appointment. Research appointments are great because you, you literally do research for the whole year. You learn so much more about research design. You learn about running a lab through the mentors that you're working with. And you get a lot of publications, which is very helpful and makes you more competitive for the job market ultimately.
0: And if someone was looking for jobs, you mentioned job market, how would one go? I mean, do you just go to Indeed? That's most of what you hear, but your job sounds kind of special.
1: My job is specialized. There's a few places people can look for a job that's similar to mine. You want the anatomy component of it? The American Association for Anatomy, the American Association of Clinical Anatomists, both have great job websites. So these are professional organizations, and they have a, a link. And you can look at this link, you don't have to be a member of the society, I believe. You can go on and they have all of the job postings in largely like in anatomy. That, that's where my position at Mayo Clinic was posted, for example. And so that's a great resource. If you're looking for the forensic jobs, the American Academy of Forensic Sciences has a very large website. That's probably a good place to go to look for it job opportunities in the forensic field.
0: Is there anything else you would like to share?
1: Yeah, probably a couple of things. The first would be, and I guess the first I'm going to talk about is like mentorship. And the second would be just general career path. I was a first-generation college student. I didn't have a lot of mentorship. I feel like I kind of found my way by following things I loved, but I would have really valued and benefited from greater mentorship. I did identify mentors as I got higher into my education, but initially I didn't have that. I would advise anyone to seek out mentors. I think it's so important. And don't be afraid to like talk to someone who's working in that field and ask them questions because that's really the only way you get to know. Because you might spend 10 years working on a degree and then figure out it's not what you want to do. And that's not where
0: anyone wants to end up. That was... Thinking or the way I was looking at it was internships and you know work study programs and things like that. You would recommend use mentorship as another. Just seek out mentors. Do they have mentor programs? If you went to some of these sites you mentioned earlier, or or Mm -hmm. how would one go about finding Mm -hmm. a mentor?
1: You might find it through your school. You might, if you like, let's say you wanted to study medicine, you might find a mentor just in that position you've got or something like that. But I can tell you, the American Association for Anatomy. And the American Association of Clinical Anatomists are really big on mentorship. Like we, we have special mentors that we sponsor specifically for mentorship. We're pretty That's big right. into it. Yeah. So really great community for mentorship. Sometimes it can be intimidating to go to a big professional conference with all these you know, seemingly important people. But I think just going and realizing that a lot of us are there because we we actually want to help people find their way or you know, beginning, beginning career individuals kind of take the next steps to
0: advance a career. Thanks for bringing that up.
1: Yeah. And never be afraid to ask. The only thing someone can say is no, and they might recommend another mentor. So I think that's one of the things I would suggest.
0: And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up on some future conversations I have because one or two people I've talked to so far, they mentioned internships were very critical for them. We didn't really talk about mentors, but that one on one with a mentor. You can you can even get that without an internship. You can still be a college student working fast food just to pay for your apartment, but you can still have a mentor.
1: And guess what? Mentors can also lead you to internships, right? Mentors are people who get to know you. So then they're often on the lookout for opportunities for you and they can connect you with opportunities and they come up. So it sometimes it's easier to get an internship or an experience like that if you have a mentor who's can vouch for you and connected. I, I, for example, sometimes I hear people looking for undergraduate researchers. And I feel like, oh, I know this student who is, is looking to get more research experience. The other thing is just about career in general. I think when I graduated, I saw my career, perhaps, or even when I was during, doing my PhD, I didn't see my career back what it was like 10 years ago, or longer. I didn't think it was gonna be what it is today. I think a lot of people would say that. And so, I, I guess I would say that as you think about where you're going to be in five years or ten years, just realize that as you build your skill set, you want a skill set that's going to enable you to grow. Because I would say my career has changed considerably over the last five to ten years, and it's kind of taken on a certain trajectory that I would not have predicted. But I enjoy it. I mean, you just have to be open to different paths and make sure that during your training that you know it's robust enough that you can build skills
0: and and always grow. I've probably talked to maybe two other people that are senior in the sense that they've had like more than 10 years experience including myself and I'll be interested to find if that's a common theme as I keep talking to people but you know nobody really pictured like what I'm doing today is what I set out to do in college you know they just kind of had this idea of what they wanted to do or the field of study it's great hearing from people who have. Been doing what they've been doing, or or 10 or 15 years into their careers, you know, to talk about this is where I ended up at, and then here's some things that helped me. So, as people identify and say, I would like to get like what you do, sounds pretty amazing the mix of science and health and teaching, and Mm -hmm. the way you blend it all together. People that may not have thought of that until they heard your story about it, just description of what you do, you know, it gives them a goal to maybe start thinking about. 10 years sooner than you did (laughs) you know they they had maybe they didn't think about taking a teachers at being a ta to help them deal with speaking to larger groups or something like that or maybe they didn't think about signing up for a mentorship and they're sitting here five years later saying i wish i would have thought about that that could have been helpful so hopefully some people will get some takeaways from this if you like what you hear and want to take the next steps in exploring your career after listening to an episode, go to jobguppy.com to see a summary and helpful links to things mentioned during the interview, like industry-specific forums or websites, example job searches, career ladders, and degree programs or trade school recommendations. The hope is you now have more information than you did before from the guest on the podcast to help you move forward with the next steps on your career exploration journey. Tune in each week as Jobguppy continues to explore a million jobs in the sea.